This is Cole. And this is Ron. We are the creative team. Asking the tough questions like, Hey Cole. Yeah, Ron? What if Hulkamania never ran wild? Hey, Ron. Yes, Cole? What if Rick wasn't ravishing? That's rude. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Cole, I got an idea. I can see that. Hey, Ron, I got an idea. I love it. My sister, Candace Murray. Look, up in the sky, it's the creative team. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. To another exciting episode of The Creative Team. I am your host, Cole Dawson, and with me, as always, my hashtag team partner, Ron Kilborn. Ronald, how the hell are you today? I am fantastic. I almost spoke in the echo voice again. I forgot to change it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's been a wonderful day. Uh, it's been a bit of a stressful day. I've been doing a lot of running around, but we still managed to bring the heat, and the content to our beloved creative team fans, despite our days as adults. And I'm yeah. glad we're here doing this, buddy, because I really enjoy it. Our recording sessions have become a bit of an escape for me, even though this is somewhat responsible of us to get yeah. this in. <laughs> I enjoy this. Like, you know, I really enjoy it. It's escape from actual life for a little bit. And uh, what better way to escape from life than talk about fake life in the wrestling business? <laughs> and... And, you know, at least today we're going to be talking about stuff that really happened. But a lot of weeks we get to make shit up. Like last week, uh, did you recover from your uh, all-out war of words with Dina Winwood last week? I mean, a war would be if, like, there was any competition whatsoever. I just had to school some fuckhead in some facts. That's what I did for three minutes straight. I didn't even hear what he said, to be honest. Uh, And I edit this show. Yeah. Yeah. so the highlight for me was like, what did Undertaker ever do? Just put a guy's head in his crotch and make his O face. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He face. said his bust face. His bust face. <laughs> that was hilarious. I, I got to give him that. And, then, and and don't you dare reminisce about the actual things he said because I will go off on you, sir. <laughs> yeah, I, I gotta say that's that's one time where we had the judges and and I I kind of didn't understand where they were coming from. I know I've I've poked a little fun at you. And uh, we, you know, made you talk down about the Undertaker for ten seconds. But uh, the, I mean, there's just the Undertaker's great. There's no arguing. The thing is, what's funny for me, I just just want to talk about the Undertaker for a little bit because why not? It's the Undertaker. The thing for me is that most people hate his American badass run, and for me, I think it's the most important thing that he did. It's the thing. It's maybe the run I love the most, not because it was the best or because it was great, but it allowed him to become a normal human for a little while, and it allowed him to become a professional wrestler for a little while, and when he went back to being the dead man that we all knew and loved and had longed for, he got to keep being a human who could wrestle and do stuff, and so we got these really, really great matches with our beloved character and all that. It's the stuff where you just look and go like, God damn it, if you could have done this the whole 30-year run we'd be having a different conversation altogether about who the undertaker is and his place in the business. So see, but see, but like, that's where I kind of, as the fan, like the diehard fan of his, that's where I kind of like, mm, not really because 
the reason why he was so big to begin with is because that like the way he portrayed that character like wrestling fans are so fickle and i'm guilty too because there's always those guys like oh man i like the work rate the bill to bill shit blah 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 blah. but nine times out of ten all of those guys were pissed when taker went from zombie to biker like so okay you like the real you like the realism and the work rate and all that stuff and people will be wrestlers and be real people but you got so offended when Taker took off that coat and hat and became a biker and started speaking like a real person. So which is it? I mean, come on. That's what I'm talking about. He is so good as a performer that he made such a campy character accepted by any form of fan. Like no one's gonna Even, put him on I will say no this. one's gonna put him on a Mount Rushmore of like work rate and like top, top, tippy top guy. But he's the guy to me that's just always been there. And always been around the top. And that's just, and for that long. I mean, everybody just kind of is either on top and then plummets. Or just, you know, is on top and only on top and then they go away. But I felt like no matter when he came back, no matter what he did, he was always hovering up top. And that's just hard to do for 30 years. I mean, realistically, when you think about it, it's, it's just Andre and the undertaker who came in as dominant you know top guys and stayed dominant top guys their entire career because like even hogan floundered around a little bit um at the beginning of his career before he became a star and then once he became a star he was huge but he did have that one run with wwf where he was putting some guys over so that's like undertaker never got there he never got to that point in his career where it was like hey why don't you just go put a bunch of guys over you know, I mean, he did do the job for Roman Reigns at WrestleMania, which was a little, which was okay because he did, he put the gloves and the hat down at the end of that. And if that would have been his, if he actually would have stayed retired on that one, I would have been okay with it. Um, but once he came back, that kind of ruined that one from me. But I, I, but then again, I, I just, the John Cena match was so perfect. It's what, it's, it's all we need from Taker. That's all we need. He could keep going if he could just go out there and do 30 seconds do two moves, just just hit a choke slam and a tombstone, brother, and, and call it a day. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's all we need. Like if like I don't mind seeing Goldberg if the match is 20 seconds. If he came out once a month at a pay per view and had that match he had with Brock Lesnar with anybody, I would be happy. Yeah, that was that was the hardest I've ever seen him work, and it was so cool looking. But yeah, no, that's just that's just my diehard fanism of the of the Undertaker and just. I really pick apart his career, even though he wasn't, like, the face of the company. He's just always been around the top of the card. With yeah, such so. a campy gimmick for so long. And today. <laughs> today. Yeah. Like, we, so could, I, yeah. We, we, we roll our eyes at The Fiend on the, last year of his, on the last year of that run. But, man, if Taker can throw a lightning bolt like a motherfucker. Well, here's my thing. I don't roll my eyes at The Fiend because I thought The Fiend was great. The problem is... I roll my eyes at some of the choices that the booking team and writing team decided to go with because when The Fiend first started and he was just doing the the Firefly Funhouse and he was killing people on pay-per-views and squashing people, you know, for the first few matches, it was great. Like when he just came and decimated Finn Balor after he cut all those amazing, you know, all those amazing vignettes, if they would have rolled with that, it would have been great. But then they made it, you know, silly and stupid and just 
I don't understand why they were so dead set on burying that guy the entire time. Like he he's like he had nine lives. This guy got over like crazy, and then they buried him, and then he got over again like crazy, and they got him. They elevated him just below the top, and then they killed him again, and then he was gone, and then he came back with this third iteration of the of you know Bray Wyatt, and he got mega over. Like, I hadn't heard people talking in, you know, like that in years. And people were talking like, bro, you got to see these promos. You got to see the segments. You got to see the Firefly Funhouse. And then they just buried him again. And now they finally released him. So, you know, it is what it is. I can't, like, he's one of the few guys, I think, if he got a chance to do something on a wrestling TV show where he had a weekly promo segment and he got to do something dark and silly and what he's, you know, something similar to what he was doing. Um, but with his own creative freedom, I think he could be a huge, huge star. I really do. I think he could be big, bigger than, you know, the CM Punk rumors. I think he could be that guy that could elevate that company to another level uh, on top of the backs of guys like Brian Danielson and CM Punk and Jericho and Christian. So I, I can't wait to see what happens. I hope maybe that's where it goes, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah, a lot of rumors floating around, and you touched on uh, the Fiend debuting and just destroying Finn, ba- Finn Balor, excuse me, uh, which is a moment at a SummerSlam. And what better segue into our top 10 than the top 10 SummerSlam moments of all the times? I cannot wait. I love top 10s. It's my favorite thing to do. I, I love that we both agree on saying it as all of the times because we love Pat Patterson. That was a great guy. Absolutely. Really, really missed. Uh, I, I don't think people understand how much thanks we all owe Pat Patterson for everything he did for the wrestling business for the last 40 years. So uh, if, if if we can do any kind of little tributes to Pat Patterson in any way, I'm all for it. So, And, and the reason why the I say all of the times is because I'm actually quoting Santino, who's quoting Pat Patterson, because <laughs> yes. this was during his uh, his Intercontinental Championship reign. Yes. Uh, oh, my God. That was another gimmick that they totally wasted. The, the When he had the, the, the hunk of perfect Piper meter or whatever. Like, <laughs> they could have got six months out of that at least. And they squashed it in like six weeks. Like <laughs> They sure did. They sure did. I love oh. me some Santino. Oh, all right. I filibustered long enough. You keep trying to keep me on 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 you know on point doing i only tried once i tried once (laughs) no you do you do it like every show you're like all right i'm ready to introduce it i'm like yeah but another thing (laughs) yeah i mean you know one of us has to steer the ship that's why they call me captain ron nobody calls me that but my number 10 (laughs) i call this moment the debo of zeus and if you know you know I'm going to call this the debut of Zeus. <laughs> and my number 10 is Zeus's debut in 1989. What a moment. We see him biking down the hood and stealing people's chains in movies. But this is the day that he faced Hulk Hogan in a tag match for the ages. He teamed with Macho Man. Hulk Hogan had the beefcake at his side. And boy, was it something special. It was certainly special. Now... Um, did you see the actual debut? Have you ever seen that with the cage match with Bossman? No, just the match. Okay, you should go back and watch that. It's I believe it's a Saturday night's main event or a main event of some sort. 
and uh, Boss Man and Hogan cage match. It's a really good match. Uh, I, this was on an old uh, Coliseum oh, home video. Yes, yes, the ho- old home video where they had like the greatest steel cage matches of all time, and this was one of the things that, that was on there. And uh, lead to build up to that match because that's an incredible night. He leaves Hogan laying and uh, made this match have to happen. And I thought it was a really cool segment to tie into that. So I don't know. I think what I think what made the match happen was no holds barred. What's that smell? Dookie, dookie, and that that right there is why we had to have this match. Well, speaking of Dookie, what's your top 10? Oh, I'm so glad. You know what, Ron? Uh, uh, you're not the only one who can uh, go with things that are a little fun and uh, silly in their top yes. 10 list. Uh, yes. This one's on here because it was one of my first childhood memories. It was a it was a moment that I loved as a child, and I still love it. And uh, what made this for me was Jacques Rougeau was so incredible during this segment when after he lost the match to the big boss man, the Mountie goes to jail is my number 10 SummerSlam moment. And uh, just him whining and begging the cops not to lock him up was just brilliant. It's wonderfully done, and everyone should go check it out. The Mountie goes to jail, my number 10 moment. I love it. I love it. I've only seen highlights of that, but I haven't actually seen the whole match and the build-up to it. But that's great, because... uh. The Mountie was nuclear heat for me as a child. But, <laughs> but, but since we're talking about childhood stuff, I'm going to go with what I've openly talked about is my first memory in wrestling. And this is what built up to my very first pay-per-view ever. And I call this moment, Leslie Nielsen finds the real Undertaker. Oh, yes. The match is what was what it was, but this buildup of Paul Bear telling telling the world that Ted DiBiase has the fake Undertaker, and then Leslie Nielsen and his partner from The Naked Gun, I forgot his name, I'm sorry, but uh, they've been on the case for months and months trying to find The Undertaker, and right before the match starts, Leslie Nielsen and his partner accidentally find the big blue, purple, whatever light, and we see the debut of the real Undertaker in his big purple outfit. You know, Number nine. I, I, I was fully invested in that storyline when it was happening. So, like, I, I get where you're coming from. I love that um, you not only talk about the take, it's not necessarily just the taker versus taker match, but that you had this whole buildup and you had been watching wrestling, but this buildup, this Leslie Nielsen, this whole deal, drove you to drive your father insane until he said, fuck it, here you go, watch the pay-per-view, you dumbass. <laughs> yeah. Here's this goddamn super slime you've been crying about. <laughs> so, yes, that's a good number nine. I, I love the Leslie Nielsen thing. So, staying with the Undertaker theme, yes. uh, 1996, something we never thought we'd see, Paul Bearer turns on the Undertaker and oh. helps Mick Foley get the win at SummerSlam. The fucking uh, just, feels. Yes, right in the feels, because Paul Bearer was was one of the most, um, I guess we'll use the word doting managers ever. He, uh, It always seemed like he was 1,000% behind The Undertaker and would never do anything to wrong him, and, and it just caught, it came out of nowhere. It caught everyone by surprise and shocked this this 12 year old me 
And so, uh, yeah, that's my number nine moment. Paul Bearer turning on The Undertaker. Perfect. Taker all over this list already. Fuck you, Dino. So, <laughs> my number eight. This is where we start to take a turn for the better. We have such a good layout for this match. And the buildup was fantastic. And, boy, uh, the stakes are high. And by stakes, I mean custody of a child. And oh, no. this is the ladder match between Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero for the custody of Dominic. Oh, yes. Yes. Eddie Guerrero has come out and uh, insinuated that Dominic is actually uh, his son instead of Ray's. So uh, it sparked one of Eddie's most high-selling shirts, I'm Your Poppy. And it led to this big payoff of a match where literally there was just a sheet of paper that basically said, I'm this kid's father. And uh, yeah, that happened. It was great. It was a good match for a dumb reason. And, uh, <laughs> hey, the kid's got a career today. Oh, see, this is this is a little tricky for me right now. Because I'm not sure where you're going with this list. Because, I mean, Zeus... Are you, are you about to accuse deal. me? Are you about to accuse me of treating this list bullshit because I put Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero in here? No, that's the problem. You put Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero in there. But, but... It was for the custody of, of, of Ray's real child. <laughs> was it, though? Maybe Eddie was the baby face here. Oh, and so I'm not sure. I'm on the fence. I'm on the fence because Zeus was a big deal, although it was just flat out silly to have a guy in there that, that couldn't do anything. And Leslie Nielsen is a little bit silly, but it's still Undertaker versus Undertaker. And this thing. I'm not sure where you're going with this. I'm not sure. But it's hard to say Rey Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero in a ladder match is is a shitty idea. And so, I'm waiting for I'm waiting for you to shit on it. The jury's still out, Ronald. I'm watching you carefully here. My number eight moment. This is a more recent one. Yes. And I just when I watched this happen. It sent my love, really, for both of these guys to a new level. But after, you know, a decade of John Cena just destroying everybody, always getting the win, no matter what, kicking out of everything and hitting the FU at some point and getting the win, to have Brock Lesnar come back and be the this is the first time somebody went to Suplex City here, and uh, he just decimated John Cena, beat the ever loving shit out of him in about five minutes. John had no offense at all, and <laughs> Brock pinned him, and the people were pissed in the right way. I don't care what anyone says; it wasn't go away heat. This didn't hurt ratings. This, like, if anything, this upped the buy rate for the next one and made guys like Finn Balor and Daniel Bryan bigger stars when they wrestled Brock. And, uh, but this was great. I loved it. I thought it was masterfully done. And, uh, I, I'm one of the, I may be one of the few, but I think this is the best thing Brock Lesnar ever did 
when he just started eating guys in main events on pay-per-views. And uh, I loved every bit of this. I I don't remember if we watched this together. I feel like SummerSlam's been one where I've I've for the last several years I wait until I hear about it and then people send me to go watch it. But uh, this was great and I loved it and I watched the whole pay per view because this match was so good. Yeah, it was it was nuclear heat, but the best kind. Uh, and it was a good follow up because this is this was the the you know after. Um, after Brock ended the streak, it's like, okay, that was the last competitive match he had. From then on, he just ate people. Like, I, I remember, you know, he had that match with Randy Orton, like, after that, where he, like, legit cut him open with his elbow. Like, every match just seemed dangerous because Brock Lesnar was a part of it. And I, I think he was booked so correctly after The Undertaker, you know, losing his streak. Because how, how do you end a a 20 a 20 match streak uh, a yearly 20 match streak yeah <laughs> and then just he goes and has competitive matches with John Cena no no if you if he's big enough to do that then he should just be eating people from then on and they they capitalized on that and I'm glad it didn't shit on the undertaker losing his streak yes so your number 7 ronald my lucky number 7 and this is a feel good moment and who doesn't love a feel good moment because we had to watch this guy eat shit for so long, every week. And then, 1995, he comes out there, patting his back, and breaks his losing streak against Skip from the Body Donnas. I'm talking about Barry Horowitz ending his losing streak at SummerSlam 1995. boy, Barry. It's, again, such a great moment. Not something that most people would have on a top 10 list, I got to say. Um, but this was another one. When I was a kid, I was so invested in this um, because, you know, it didn't take much to realize that Barry Horowitz was a regular, but uh, he never won a match. And, and so they really didn't have to draw it to our attention. Um, but then they started doing so. And it was great. I, I loved it. And then when Barry Horowitz got on a little bit of a winning streak, it, I was behind him. I was like, yeah, good for you. Like, who doesn't love a good underdog story? And this payoff was great. And so I, I, I'm all with it, Ronald. This is a solid list. This is a solid list. It's been a while, but uh, so far, I'm really liking the top 10 list today, bud. Yeah, it's, it's making you think a little bit. Like, is he or isn't he fucking with me? But <laughs> they're all worth a conversation. Absolutely. And from that incredible star power of Skip versus Barry Horowitz, uh, I'm going to go to the Mega Powers, <laughs> Hogan and Savage. I don't care about the match. I mean, it's a great matchup. It was the reason they, in, it, this was the main event they invented SummerSlam for. We had the Mega Powers versus the Mega Bucks. This was kind of the payoff after you know leading this was all leading into the oh no this was after wrestlemania 5 so or no 4 sorry after wrestlemania 4 so savage is the champion this is after they did the, you know the double referee the twin referee gimmick and and we we firmly had established that andre was doing the bidding of ted dibiase with all of his money and so we had andre and ted Finally, a payoff, a blow-off to Savage and Hogan. But the important thing here is the celebration after the match where Hogan lifts up Elizabeth and maybe his hand was just a little too comfortable 
where it settled in on Miss Elizabeth's body in her hindquarters. And he got this little look on Savage's face like, hey, brother, what are you doing? Uh, you grabbing Miss Liz there? I don't know. He had that little look. And just from that little seed of an idea, just a glance, a little side-eyed look, they got an eight-month eight storyline build up to WrestleMania five. And it broke all the, it, it even broke the pay-per-view, you know, buy rate for Andre and Hogan. And I, it just makes me long for a day when, when we could do eight month storylines where we did subtle storytelling, not, not like AEW where they think they're trying to be so smart and subtle that it's so subtle that unless you're like following the dirt sheets, you can't follow their subtle storytelling. But uh, this was just one of those like slow, slow builds. And then when finally the mega powers explode, it's incredible. And then WrestleMania 5, fantastic pay-per-view, wonderful main event. And uh, just another bad guy for Hogan to vanquish, sadly. But you must pose. And that is, you know, the clash of the mega powers is going to transition to my number six, which is a mega athlete becoming champion. And we're going to stick with 1995 because this was a clash of the Titans. And boy, was there a big celebration after this uh, triumphant defeat. And I'm talking about Alondra Blaze losing her women's title to Bertha Faye. Who doesn't love them some Bertha Faye? Oh, man, I had a huge crush on Bertha Faye. And uh, by the looks of it, she uh, hugely crushed everybody. Um and uh, and who doesn't love them some Harvey Whippleman? I mean, I mean, he managed a lot of people, but I don't know how he managed to, you know, put that belt around Bertha because that was like the biggest lady I've ever seen uh, when I was when I was a kid. And you know, bless her heart, she's uh, she's still around and much smaller now. Uh, but back then, my goodness, I I never seen a woman that big. Bertha Bay. Number six on a top ten. It's a championship uh, win, Cole, at SummerSlam. Okay. What? <laughs> but Medusa. Alondra yeah, yeah. Blaze. Yeah, yeah, but but Medusa. The biggest had a stars top... of the mid nineties. Like we just we had a top ten list. Like Alondra Blaze wrestled Bull Nakano on a SummerSlam as well, and it was a great match. Yeah, certainly good company. But, you know, I had to stay out of 94. I mean, Taker kind of, you know, took over that 94. I don't know what else good was on that shit, to be honest. Uh, uh, Did Bertha Faye have any other matches in the 90s oh, besides yeah. these two? I think like, she had 90 matches. <laughs> they, they brought back an 80s worker, an 80s wrestler who hadn't worked in years or been on the mainstream in anyone's eyeballs just to have an opponent for Alundra Blaze. And then they put her over. <laughs> With Harvey Whippleman. <laughs> Harvey Whippleman. He had the giant Gonzalez. And oh. then he got the giant and Bertha, girl. And Bertha Faye. Yes, Bertha Faye, a talent anywhere. I wish she would come back for the, the women's revolution. Oh, God damn it, Ron. 
Yeah, because it would take a revolution to get around her. So you're number five. <laughs> you, know, you know how hard it is to go from talking about Birth of Hay to talking about one of the all-time great wrestling matches ever, one of my favorite wrestling matches of all time, in, in Rey Mysterio and Kurt Angle. Because my number six is Rey Mysterio versus Kurt Angle. And uh, I, I really feel like that was the last great SummerSlam. Like that that year with that match, the whole card was incredible. And I just feel like SummerSlam has fallen way, way short every year since then. And uh, I, I kind of lost, you know, but I mean, that 96. But... Yeah, I've got I've got three, three of my top 10 <laughs> moments are from 1996 SummerSlam. And we're talking about fucking Birth of Faye. <laughs> uh, that was that was a year before. 1995. We're still in the same league as far I'm as greatness about, goes. Oh, sorry, 2006. What did I say? 1996. <laughs> are you talking about Kurt Angle and Rey Mysterio? Yeah. That's 2002. The greatest SummerSlam of all time. That's what I mean. God damn it. See, you got me all flustered. I'm I'm the wrong yes. encyclopedia. Yes, yes. The 2002. The one. Yes, we talked about it in great length uh, last week as well. But uh, yeah, man. I just since so since 2002 really. SummerSlam has just been, oh, God damn it, Birth of Faye, really? <laughs> I know you say you you talk about how hard it is to talk about Birth of Faye and, and to the next person, but you know I got to tell you how hard I am talking about Birth of Faye. <laughs> oh, so yeah, Rey Mysterio, Kurt Angle, my number six moment. <laughs> That's yeah, a good one, you know. I mean, if only Bertha can meet Gertha. So, my number four. No, it's my number five. Yes, oh, you're, you're going to love this one. Oh. You're going to love this one. Am my I? number five. This is a recent one, too, and it involves a pair of guys that, like, they were a guilty pleasure of mine, and I really wish they would have, like, you know, flourished. But, you know, they just... They just were the epitome of not ready, and I hope they get healthy and more mentally stable and make a comeback. But this is a moment of moments, because this is where it was the Battle of the Bigs, and this is 2017, and we got in one corner, The Big Show, taking on Big Cass, but that's not the moment we're talking about, ladies and gentlemen. Enzo a fucking Mori is such an annoying piece of shit to The Big Show that the stipulation is that he must be in a shark cage. Hovering over the ring the entire match because he is a little weasel and he bothers Big Show. But the moment, the visual of the cage raising and Enzo doing his little in the shark cage, you you know what I'm doing. You can see it. Cole can see it. But you, you, you people at home know exactly the movements I'm doing. Him being raised up in the shark cage, doing those Enzo gyrations is a sight to behold. One of the biggest moments ever. The Shark Cage. Number five. Big cast, big show, Enzo in a cage. I didn't even know this moment existed. And you won't get any kind of news anywhere else except here in front of Ron on the creative team. I mean, you went. Number five. I mean, at least 
like, you know, Zeus belongs kind of on this list. Leslie Nielsen, of course, belongs on any list. And we can't argue with Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio in a cage match, or in a ladder match, even if it is the stupidest fucking stipulation of all time. Uh, I'll have you know that that child moved on to have a great life. Well, yes, he just lost the tag team titles with his father. So, oh, that's the child, that child is doing quite well. I can even forgive the Barry Horowitz thing because that was a cool moment. It really was the ending the losing streak. But Bertha Faye and Enzo. I, oh, like you you said that like that was the match. I got so freaking hyped. <laughs> Bertha Faye versus Enzo. Well, look what we got hair. over here. <laughs> Oh, God damn it. Hey, Harvey, let me get a piece of that birth. I mean, Enzo was like the main reason I just didn't watch wrestling for a while. Oh, I loved his promos. He was the, <laughs> he actually got people to watch that fucking 205 bullshit. Uh, well, not me. Uh, Enzo has ch- legitimate changed the channel heat with me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I am not going to watch your show if you're going to put that motherfucker on your card. So that's well, where I'm at with Enzo. I mean, but, uh, truthfully, you know. You, you, you know what you sound like? A cup of haters. A cup of haters. <sighs> Speaking of cup promos, <laughs> I have two Macho Man moments on mine. Uh, but I think this is the one... That would be everyone's go-to. And this is definitely a moment. It's not a match. It's not anything. This was the moment where we got to endear the Macho Man back into our hearts. And this was the culmination of a few years. Well, really? Let's see. Four or five year storyline of Macho Man mistreating Miss Elizabeth. And her being just the most loyal and wonderful partner you could ask for. Him splitting with Miss Elizabeth and going with Sensational Sherry. And even after all of that, Miss Elizabeth still stands by her man, saves him from the awful bitch Sherry, and takes him back into her open arms and redeems him and just warms his heart back to the point where he decide where he can come back to being a fan favorite and this all culminated in their wonderful lovely wedding at SummerSlam and that is my number 5 moment the macho man and miss elizabeth getting married real moments emotional moments it's it's part of the reason why you love professional wrestling and you can't teach that so Number four from my beautiful list. Uh, I'm going to go with one of my favorite comedic moments, and it's a backstage segment. And I believe you were in the room with me, and we all joined in the most symphony of laughter. It was beautiful. And let me just paint the picture. This was back when Mr. McMahon had his two right-hand men, Jonathan Coachman and William Regal, and they're backstage just being heels just being heels and all of a sudden here comes the very poorly aged crime time 
and crying time is doing their thing and talking about how they want to be like mr mcmahon because they like that money money yeah yeah and then they start doing that dance and they start circling around all three of them and then slowly but surely the song catches the coach and coach starts joining them and, and spinning around regal and vince mcmahon and then of course regal and vince are both disgusted because they're the snobs and they they won't they go they wouldn't they don't know what's going on. They just see Coach just joining his brothers and just start dancing. But before it even hits us, Regal starts shaking that ass and starts joining them <laughs> and starts going around Vince McMahon and like just getting in his face and like just like just like dancing his ass off. And then like the camera kind of cuts to Regal just kind of getting way into it and everyone's gone. And then they pan out and there's Ron Simmons for the save to get in his signature. Damn! <laughs> I love that moment, and it's worth a rewatch. It's on the tube of use, and it makes me cry laughing every time. Regal had such great timing, and I don't give a shit. He's right there, number four. You know what? This might have made my quote-unquote serious list. I don't give a shit. Regal's the man. Number four, <laughs> Regal dances with crime time. I like that you, you're not even trying to disguise it at this point. You're just like, this would have made a serious list. <laughs> oh, I meant like on Sirius XM. <laughs> the way you sold it, though, I'm, I'm all on board for this. I, I'm like, I'm going to bring this up on YouTube right now. Because, like, when you brought in crime, ty, crime Time and Coach, I'm like, okay, okay. But then you start talking about Regal, and I'm like, oh, God. I know Regal started dancing. Like, I don't remember this at all. I'm sure we watched it together. I'm sure I laughed my ass off. But uh, I, as soon as you just, like, Regal's looking like, oh, I'm like, oh, Regal started dancing, didn't he? And then this whole segment, like, I, I'm, I'm just laughing, like, thinking about this as an idea. And I don't hate it at all. I love it. It's good. Regal is such a fantastic sport. There's another backstage segment, little sidebar here, but it's backstage at Raw. This is when he was babysitting Eugene. And Christy Hemi was a thing then. Oh, my God. And I had a thing for her. Anyway, Christy Hemi and it was backstage. And Eugene is on a, on a CD Walkman listening to a Lindsay Lohan song. She was relevant and a singer at the time. And, like, he's <laughs> actually singing and, like, singing the single. The single and they're kind of, like, advertising it. And then, Master Eugene. Here comes Regal. Master Eugene, we got to go. We have our match. Blah, 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 blah. And then he gets, he put has, has him, like, uh, put the Walkman down and kind of berates him and like tells him to start acting like a brat and go to the ring, blah, 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 blah. And then like they go and fuck off and, and Regal just kind of like looks around and picks up the headphones and then just starts dancing like a pop star and sings her song. I'm tired of rumors starting. I'm so sick and tired. <laughs> and they pan out and Eugene and Christy never left and they saw him do it. He's like, oh, well, Eugene, let, let's go. I fucking love Regal. You know what? This episode has just sparked my fandom for Regal, and I'm going to go get some fucking High Spots Regal tapes. Oh, bro, we should totally do... A take Regal. it up for Regal. Yeah, Why the Regal. fuck haven't we had that in our minds? Oh, that's oh. going on the list of lists. Uh, I will say, ladies and gentlemen, we actually do have a little bit of a schedule here. I know we mentioned last episode that we were going to do a bracket, and I promise you we're going to do that bracket. Um, But... I was able to procure us a guest that will make that bracket absolutely spectacular, and uh, it will be fun. But we have a little bit of scheduling conflict right now, and uh, it might be a week or two before we can get said guest. And I don't want to uh, spoil the surprise, 
So once we get it all lined up, we'll make an announcement, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, there will be a bracket coming down the list. Uh, but we got a special guest for that. So uh, we got a little off topic. But uh, next week, for sure, we're going to have Taz. We're going to do Taz. Take it up with Taz. It's going to be awesome. But we're definitely adding Regal to the list, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. So we have a lot of stuff lined up for you. Impromptu but... brainstorming. I love it. Yes. But for now, where are we at? My number four moments where we're at. And uh, uh, this is another moment. Uh, you know, the judges last week kind of shit on this moment a little bit and uh, pissed me off. Because um, I don't care what the fuck it was. Uh, this is one of the all-time great expeditions or exhibitions of just fantastic professional wrestling. Everyone can eat all of the dicks. Hogan versus HBK is one of the all-time great matches, and it's fucking phenomenal, and it's hilarious, and it's entertaining, and it's a great fucking wrestling match. So go watch it, goddammit, because it's brilliant. <laughs> it, it is a fantastic sales job by HBK, but I will never even put that on the tippy-top list as long as that match between him and Trips exists. I, I'm on the same fuck you boat as far as like, oh yeah, Shawn Michaels, but Triple H. Triple H was a fucking master in that match. His heat was brilliant. <laughs> he like not yeah. only did he have Shawn's trust, he took care of Shawn, and Shawn really shined in that match. And a lot of it was Triple H, and they were telling that story of his back. And Triple H did a fantastic job. His sales job was fantastic. And they get all that big buildup to the very finish with the roll-up of all things for an unsanctioned match. Yeah. Fantastic match. The judges can eat a bag of dicks on that one, too. I, I like that we're both... We both... We, I think we're just bitter because there was no legit result. And those two <laughs> shit, over, shit on, like, two things that we loved. Gosh. Yes. Well, here's the thing, too. Uh, there are only two matches ever that Triple H were, it was involved in and, that I loved. Or, or even really, like, remember and like. That's already love, a crime. Yeah, I love. There are two matches that Triple H d had that I just love. And the Sean is one of them. And we're going to talk about it in a minute. So I don't know why I'm filibustering talking about it now. But the other one is the WrestleMania 30 match with Daniel Bryan. And do you know what those two things have in common? It's one of the few times after Triple H became a goddamn main eventer, he actually went out there to put someone else over. And make him look good and not be the fucking superstar of the match and make it all about him. And uh, they were fantastic and great, told great stories. They were amazing. They were masterpieces. And so I know that's in Triple H. So I guess it just pisses me off a little more that he was so about himself, whether he was it was the office's decision or not. But he gets a little more heat from me from that. But when he went out there, he's he could. Don't make me get on my Triple H soapbox this week, Cole. He did the same thing. Batista, Randy Orton, Kurt Angle, the fucking Rock. Uh, what else? Uh, recently, like Seth Rollins, like the dude does the jobs for everybody. Like, he's... oh no, 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 no. Okay, but well, here's my thing. He did jobs for those people, but he didn't go out there with the sole purpose of actually getting them over and making them look great. Like every other match, would, like for him when he was the champion. It always was about protecting him and protecting his spot, except for in these two instances where it was actually to make someone and be like, okay, they're over. Because 
not only did he did he do all the bumps and all the shit and make the whole match about making about announcing to the world that Shawn Michaels is fucking back. He's great and uh, he deserves to be here. I'm just gonna just step out of order here. My number three match is HBK versus Triple H. <laughs> HBK's return to the wrestling. So we're here. That's where we're on the list because these two tied in together because they're both HBK. Yeah. That match is a masterpiece. It's brilliant. It is all things professional wrestling. Everyone should absolutely go see it. It's my number three moment. But my, my to finish my point on Triple H, these are really the only two matches where it was all about what well, once he got over. Because, like, obviously, you put the Ultimate Warrior over. And when he was coming up the ranks, he did nothing but a jobs for a whole year as he was being punished for the curtain call, which sucks. Major ass. <laughs> But uh, it all worked out for the better because, you know, Austin won the King of the Ring and became the biggest star in the history of the business. So, you know, thank you, Triple H. <laughs> thank you. And I'm sure he thanked Austin. He, cause, and he, Triple H has gone on record, well, yeah, I got punished, but I wasn't going to do what Austin did. Right, right. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to say Triple H is the shit, but I'm saying when he goes out there with the Express, like the focus of the match is getting the other guy over He's he's one of the best, but he's only done it a handful of times, and that's why he doesn't get in the conversation for me as one of the all time greats. So, oh, no, I think he, I think he's done it more than a handful of times. But let's just go to my number three now, before we get lost in the weeds on a Triple H rant. <laughs> but my number three, we're gonna talk about high quality performers. We're gonna go no further than my number three, and that's why they are firmly, and I do mean firmly, placed on my number three. And that is the barn burner of a match in 2000. And it's the thong stink face match between the cat and Terry Runnels. Oh my gosh. You should go out of your way to watch this one because I'm going to get really close and describe the finish of this match. <laughs> the finish of this match, literally, the cat pulls up her thong. And legit, I'm not kidding, kids. Close your ears and adults put this match on. And skip to the end. She literally spreads her butt cheeks open. And oh, then lets them go on Terry's face. And you can just, you can hear the <laughs> on her nose. <laughs> as Bradshaw's in the background going, yeah, get it, get it, rub that, rub, rub it in her face. <laughs> and you hear, and you hear JR going, ah, ah, oh, my turn, my turn. I want to do my next. Which is funny because he probably got next later that night. You said JR, but you definitely meant Jerry Lawler. Oh, Jerry Lawler. Oh, my <laughs> by God. That would be a better visual. <laughs> that, that scream coming out of JR. I was like, oh, wow. Oh, you're talking about Jerry Lawler. <laughs> <laughs> by God, it's a slobber knocker. Okay. I'm going to stop now. I'm going to slobber knocker. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. Oh, God. I'm so glad women it. are wrestlers now. But yeah, I was 14 just... in 2000, and man, puberty was, uh, well, it was two years into it, but and that definitely helped. Well, since we're, we're here, we might as well talk about it. Um, <clears throat> I believe... We're where? <laughs> I just talked about puberty. Talking, talking about women as sex objects. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I think there is a place for both, and I think it would have been a fun storyline and a real gimmick I, like, I think it would be great right now if someone like, I don't know, Carmella or, you know, these 
really attractive females who maybe aren't as good as, say, the Sasha Banks and the Baileys and the Charlottes of the world to get a group together and try to bring sexy back to wrestling and be divas and not, you know, I, it would be a fun storyline. It would be heat. It would be good because it's definitely not PC now to be like, I want to be a sex object. Although that's become PC now, like where women are allowed to want to be sex objects. We just can't look at them that way or discuss them being sex objects. But if they want to do it to themselves, it's okay. I just think it would be a fun angle. It would be cool. I like edgy stuff. I like pushing the envelope. And all in all, I think when it comes down to it, it furthers the conversation when we make light of situations that are that are a little bit touchy, you know? And so I, I just think it would be a fun angle. And I, I don't understand why you can't have a smoke show like something like Scarlett Bordeaux was doing at TNA and real women athletes. We I don't understand why we can't have the entertainment and the professional wrestling aspect of women. So I'm fine with objectifying women as long as they're fine with it. Right? Yeah, as long as the men are getting objectified just as much. Correct. That's why I love the meat angle. I would love to have like a male stripper, like just a set. I mean, you know, I'll order you cake. one. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I meant a character, not actually at my house. You ain't got to get hot know. about it. My number two. <laughs> Is it my number two? <laughs> Sure. If we do, we want to get back on order because you went first, and then we just got so off on a tangent of, of fighting about Triple H. <laughs> oh, did we? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, literally winning matches with ass rubbing. So, <laughs> but we're gonna go from sweet asses to more sweets, and we touched on this while brainstorming our ta- our next take it up, and I couldn't believe this took place at a SummerSlam, and I'm talking about, and I'll get his name right, this one's name right, Jim Ross taking a jar of candy and smashing it over Taz's head to help Jerry Lawler win the match. Number two, Jim Ross, the commentator, takes out Taz, the badass from ECW, during his first six-month debut. Oh, beats him, with, beats him with a jar of candy. And we're definitely going to talk about this angle next week again. So I just... It's the only time in the 2000s where I was sad to hear glass shattering on a wrestling program. (laughs) It was also the only time in the history of ever there was ever a jar of anything on the announce table. Just magically, all of a sudden, there's just this jar of candy that's never existed before or since. (laughs) But it was there for no reason other than to... Help Jerry Lawler win a match against Taz. <laughs> w- would you consider the urn a fancy jar? Oh, God. But, I mean, it's not like the, the urn was just sitting there at the announce table all the time. Or ever. <laughs> oh, These are the questions God. you get on the creative team, ladies and gentlemen. I just... What was... Why? I understand maybe revitalizing the Jerry Lawler ECW angle at some point. But why why did Taz have to lose to Jerry Lawler? <sighs> well and then here's the here's the pisser since I did all this research. Um after that the only way that Taz could beat Jerry Lawler, a you know, fifty something year old man at the time, 
uh, Taz, a total badass, the human suplex machine, just just an amazing, awesome, just fucking badass character. The only way he could beat Jerry Lawler was with help from outside interference from Raven. So like this, this whole angle did nothing but bury Taz, and you're putting it number two on your list. Yes, because Taz is the shit, and if he's gonna be the shit, you get you better call him number two on my list. <laughs> I guess that's as good a reason as any. <laughs> It's a number two. Because he's the shit. Oh, God damn it. All right. So another moment that we talked about last week. Uh, th- this is a moment very near and dear to our heart. And this moment made more special probably based on what happened in my living room as opposed to the actual finish of the match. But my number two moment in SummerSlam history, and this is legit my number two moment, Brock Lesnar beating The Rock and uh, ushering in becoming the new big thing. Not the next big thing anymore. He is the new big thing, Brock Lesnar. Uh, I just love this match, and it's a very near and dear moment to our hearts where we all laughed and pointed at my wife as she cried on the floor that her man lost. But uh, this was just, it was a surprise it's one of those where we felt like it was going to go this way, but you can never be sure with the WWE and WWF as to whether they're going to actually do the right thing and pay it off. And this night they did, and it was magical, and it was a wonderful moment. It's one of the best rock matches that exists, and uh, I love it. And it's just, I, it, I will forever remember this moment, remember that it was at SummerSlam, and remember uh, our, uh, the wonderful moment we all shared laughing in my wife's face. So. Oh yes, it's a moment that I'll treasure a lifetime. And but I was such I was on such a high for Brock Lesnar in 2002 and 2003. This is when like he was like training to be a pro wrestler and like just had that smoothness and quickness and just had that pop-up ability and you know, I love his stuff now where he's just like the dangerous MMA fighter hybrid pro wrestler. His selling is way better today. But like I just man Go back and watch some of his matches. Like, the Hell in a Cell match he had with Undertaker was fantastic. The, this match with The Rock was epic. He had a freaking ambulance match with The Big Show that I recently rewatched because I forgot it happened. And there is some super awesome moments in that match. And it's worth a watch. It's one of my favorite Big Show matches. And this was during his heavier stage. But, you know, you ain't heavy when you're in the ring with Brock Lesnar. I'll tell you that shit. Um, and that is a, you know, I, would, I wouldn't be mad if that was number one. But let's see if the world and you could be mad at my number one. My number one sparked such massive controversy and pretty much sparked a plague in the wrestling world that I don't think has stopped uh, and kind of keeps going on occasion. Uh, But for my money, this is the best thing that ever happened to wrestling. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I got to work for these gentlemen one time. And I'm talking about the 1998 debut of the Insane Clown Posse. Now, I can't imagine any top 10 list involving anything, anyone, anywhere, and not at least talk about the the in-ring work of Violent J and Shaggy 2 Dope that I definitely had to research on the internet while pitching this. Um... <laughs> 
I mean, just a brilliant look, clusterfuck of a tag match. It was on one side, oh. the very creative team famous and creative team take it up creative big ho stars, Kai and Tai. Going up against the oddities with Violent J and Shaggy T Dope in the match as tag partners. And they go balls out. They start a revolution. Them in that sweet face paint take their talents and their business sense and they go to WCW and and hone their craft even more and then open up JCW and they have their yearly juggalo fest, uh, the gathering, I think they call it. Uh, mm-hmm. And they have their just hybrid wrestling slash music festival. <laughs> uh, and um, it's just... It's just something that the world still has to this day, and uh, the world is a lot better for it. Insane Cloud Posse's debut, number one SummerSlam moment of all time. In the garden! <laughs> Madison Square Garden hosted the Insane Clown Posse as wrestlers. <laughs> and it's my number one! <laughs> SummerSlam moment of all time. The main event was Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Undertaker. The pre-made event was was Triple H versus The Rock in a ladder match. But we got the oddities and Insane Clown Posse versus Kai and Tai. You know, oh. I'm submitting Insane Clown Posse as our next Take It Over Creative. Fuck William Regal. <laughs> My favorite part is that putting over their wrestling abilities, no problem. But calling what they do music. I mean, the jury's out if it's music. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm told they're musicians. But, uh, you know, they should stick to wrestling. Because oh, at least they can oh. work that. But also that little nugget in there. I did not know you worked for the uh, Juggalos there. Oh, yeah. It was a battle royal at one of their gatherings. I uh, oh. just kind of bullshitted my way into it. It was. That's awesome. It was an interesting, interesting day. Yeah, I had no idea. It's not something I go out of my way to brag about. <laughs> yeah, that's probably not getting you a lot of bookings. <laughs> oh, my, my number one moment is at a much larger venue. I don't want to say bigger venue because, you know, the garden is the garden. But uh, a much larger venue where a hometown hero got to win the Intercontinental Championship in his home country overseas in front of 80,000-ish people at Wembley Stadium, one of the just legend, uh, you know, another worldwide legendary stadium, Wembley Stadium. But uh, the moment specifically for me is once Davy Boy gets the pin on Bret Hart in one of just the all-time great matches ever, period, anywhere, um, anytime, any pay-per-view, just all-time, this is probably in my top 10, this, this Davy Boy versus Bret Hart match from SummerSlam 1992. But uh, the moment where Davy Boy's wife joins him in the ring and they embrace, they hug, and Brett and Davey, they, you know, they were fighting for a title, but they're still family. And at the end, they embraced. 
and sportsmanship took over, and we got this just wonderful moment in front of just 80,000 people losing their minds that their guy won the title in front of them in the main event of SummerSlam. This was really just a major shift in WWF history where we had gone from Hogan and Andre and just the the ultimate warrior and savage and now we've got a little bit smaller guys guys that are real just great workers we got this just incredible main event that stole the year had everyone talking and uh just to cap it all off at the end of the night with Davy boy and in the family celebrating together and people with genuine tears in their eyes wonderful moment i love it it's the maybe the, the biggest moment in my entire wrestling fandom, the one that really hooked me and got me in, the, it was this match, this moment right here, that 30-something years later, I'm still a wrestling fan, and this is the reason why right here. So that's why it's my number one moment. It might be my number one moment of all the times when I really consider my wrestling fandom and what I love and the style I love and the reason I love professional wrestling, it is this moment right here, ladies and gentlemen. And it's my number one SummerSlam moment of all time. And you don't you can't get more emotion than that. It's one of it, it hits all the beats as far as a perfect wrestling match goes. And I'm fine with going from a gathering to another gathering, uh, because you got the gathering of the juggalos and you got the gathering of the hearts at the end of this match, embracing and having nice <clears throat> sportsmanship. And it's certainly good company. Certainly good company. And yeah, no, that match, that match is one of the best. And I kind of groaned at the beginning because it was actually, and I like using this, uh, this like, uh, uh, what's the word? This description. It was the champagne bottle that broke on the boat of the big argument between me and Dino because he picked this match over the match that I just talked about took place with the insane clown posse, <laughs> the Undertaker versus Stone Cold Steve Austin, and that's yes. another fuck you, Dino. So. <laughs> I mean, as much as I try to have fun today, it sounds like you're going to be taking a couple of these from my list and putting them on the official top 10, aren't you? Uh, You know, you know, um, Bertha, 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 Bertha. Spoiler alert, it's definitely not Bertha Faye or Enzo Amore. But Harvey Whippleman. Harvey (laughs) Whippleman. I mean... We've only got 10 spots, and, you know, there was spread ass cheeks, so. <laughs> I It definitely made me create 10 spots on my keyboard. Oh, God damn it. Well. That joke just came to me. <laughs> the, the aftershock jokes are even better. Yeah, they're a stroke of genius. <laughs> oh, God. I'm trying to pull out of this, but, you know, <laughs> it's getting hard. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you have any honorable mentions before we whittle down to our top 10 ronald uh well mm, no i mean did bertha Faye have any more matches in SummerSlam? uh no because i think bertha Faye was done wrestling before wrestlemania existed so. mm. okay but what oh. about harvey i know he got oh, i know he God. did a few things he was a good hand. Uh, yeah, because he managed Sid. He actually got to have one care- serious guy who he got to get over a lo- with a little bit. <laughs> as much as great a roster as Bertha Faye and, and Giant Gonzalez are, 
I think Sid was probably the best of what Harvey Whippleman had. So I only have a couple of honorable mentions because, you know, I think as we've discovered the last couple of weeks, there's just not that much great stuff that happens at SummerSlam. It, it really, the more I've, I've gotten away from it, feels like it has become a throwaway pay-per-view like any other pay-per-view, and it's not special anymore. Um, but it can't get more special than 2002 uh, SummerSlam. So everyone, I think that's the thing. After, after listing the last couple few weeks, go watch. Just watch 2002 SummerSlam. Just watch the whole card. It's fucking awesome. It's the best it's one. It's amazing. It's it's as good it's as good as most of the WrestleManias, if not better, and uh, it's one of the best pay per views of all time. So, uh, my two honorable mentions will be Brett the Hitman Hart versus Mister Perfect. Just that whole match, another brilliant, wonderful, just incredible SummerSlam match, and uh, probably. Uh, See, at this point, it's getting hard to keep that on my top ten. But it's got to be up there in my top 20 matches of all time for sure. I'd really have to think about it at this point. But uh, the, I had six matches for a very long time that were my six matches. And five of them were Bret Hart matches and the other one was Steamboat versus Savage. So, like, no, but it's getting it's getting harder these days. So and the other one it was another one that I, I talked about last week. For me, um, not that this moment was so great. But it was the first time when I was watching a pay-per-view when I knew something was wrong, very obviously, when Stone Cold Steve Austin breaks his neck. Um, I, 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 I don't think, like, everyone talks about the Austin 316 promo. Everyone talks about Austin tapping out, um, or not tapping out, refusing to tap out and passing out at WrestleMania 13. But I really feel like this moment where Austin breaks his neck is is every bit as important to the Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know, rise to popularity because this set off just a great run of vignettes and promos by Steve Austin and uh, really he endeared him to the fans and made him the full-fledged babyface that he became. Um I, I think there was no ignoring him as a babyface after these vignettes and promos. Um, and then when he finally got back and, and got to vanquish the hearts, it was just all that much better. So I, honorable mention to me, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin breaks his net at SummerSlam in a bittersweet moment. Well, I'll give an honorable mention just because I feel like bringing up Triple H again. I'm going to go with Triple H versus Eugene 2004. Let's solidify this top 10. So the official top 10 is as follows. Number 10. Barry Horowitz wins! Great moment. I'm so glad that this is on our list. Uh, this is one of the times where Ron was too smart for his own good. <laughs> and Barry Horowitz deserves to be on this list. And I'm going to give it to you because I know how important this whole buildup and this story was to you. And uh, even though I felt this was the moment when I felt maybe Ron's fucking with me again, but it's a solid list. Uh, Leslie Nielsen... Uh, the whole search for the Undertaker angle, but the payoff where he finds him at SummerSlam, our number nine moment. Number eight. Bertha Faye. No, no, not Bertha Faye, but a big old bull. Brock Lesnar takes John Cena to Suplex City. The Mega Powers win, and Macho's not sure. 
about Hulk Hogan touching Mr.'s ass, brother. There's, we talked about ass a couple times tonight. That's all yeah, we, we went vulgar man today. <laughs> we did. I said we should objectify women, and then you talked about jizz for five minutes. Great. Now I have to click the explicit button when I upload this. <laughs> number six, Rey Mysterio versus Kurt Angle. Number five, the Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth tie the knot. Uh, number four, Shawn Michaels taking on the immortal Hulk Hogan. Number three, Shawn Michaels returns after an, a long absence to take on Triple H. Brock Lesnar defeating The Rock, our number two moment. And our number one, the British Bulldog wins at Wembley Stadium with his family and his whole country behind him. Just a wonderful, heartwarming moment. And, I'm sorry, uh, uh, recap me. Where did we put the Insane Clown Posse exactly? Uh, where they belong, off the list. Oh. <laughs> oh, God damn it, Ron. Harvey oh. Whippleman. <laughs> uh, I, oh, I just say that Ron's last Take It Up for Creative really kind of inspired me for this one. So you guys are going to get a full detailed script on our episode next week of Take It Up With Creative, when we will be talking about Taz in the WWF slash WWE. Yes, we have a Taz mission, and that's to get him over. <laughs> oh, well, Ronald, as always, thanks you for bringing the puns this week and uh, the dad jokes. We all love it. The listeners definitely love it. Uh, I agree with you. You know, when you were talking about it earlier, um, I had a shit day. <laughs> you, you know, you said you had a, it was a tough day. It was a long day, but uh, yeah, I had a mishap and I broke $500 worth of equipment today in the middle of my day, oh. uh, which, yes, which brought my work day to a complete halt as I had to scramble for the next two hours to try to find the stuff because I had to get done today. So it didn't matter. Even though I started at 6 a.m. this morning. Oh man, I, I saw the work. I saw yeah. the Snapchat. I was like, "How the fuck did that happen?" So I got the answer. <laughs> yes. Hi, Mark. Yeah, it was a boneheaded. It was one of those. Uh, you know, uh, I got distracted. Uh, in my day, I had leaned my, you know, my my raw my setup up against the truck, and then I know real. I realized, okay, before we go down the next street, I need to move the truck so I have line of sight, and uh, forgot. That this, you know, equipment, which in total, all the equipment attached together is worth more like, I don't know, six grand. <laughs> and luckily, I only broke the cheap stuff. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was one of those things. I couldn't finish the day without it. So right about noon today, I was scrambling around, driving to other, other job sites, to our other crews to try to steal parts so I could cobble something together to finish my day. So that I didn't have to work all weekend, <laughs> but uh, we went to overtime today and it was, you know, 98 and uh, we don't have air conditioning in our truck. So this is absolutely an escape from real life and adulting where I get to laugh with my good buddy, Ron, one of my favorite people in the world. And, you know, uh, just, yeah. And I proof that we go enough. through everything to bring this to you, the listeners. <laughs> yes, sir. Oh, oh. So, for Ron Kilborn, I am your host, Cole Dawson, saying thank you for being with us. Join us next week as we talk about Taz 
and uh, give us feedback on these top tens. We love you guys. We love Mr. Davis, you know, giving us all the feedback. And, uh, we, I, you know, Mark, absolutely, too, been giving us, giving us feedback. Uh, and we're starting to get feedback from other fans. Good God, go home. I'm going home, ladies and gentlemen. We're out of time. Good night. Yes, the cameras are rolling. We'll see you next week. Wah! Thanks for listening. Find us on Instagram and Twitter at Creative Team Pod or just the Creative Team on Facebook. Follow Cole Dawson on Twitter and Instagram at Cole2130 and follow yours truly on Instagram or Twitter at Ron for Your Life. Number four, we'll see you next week on another episode of The Creative Team.